Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What's going down? Hey everyone and welcome to an early edition of What's Going Down on a Monday. My name is Kenny McIntosh and I'm still here in Nashville, flying home later today. And I'm joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin. Finn, I believe that you've watched SummerSlam. You have watched what is, dear God, hopefully Ric Flair's last match ever. How are you today? Yes, I'm very well. I'm here in Lancaster, Lancashire as usual. And I'm doing very well, Kenny. Yes. How have you got on in Nashville? Do you have time to tell people what it, you've been up to? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's been really fun. I mean, the humidity here is no joke. It's really, really humid. Um, How's the hair holding up, Kenny? Well, luckily, I, I went and got a wee pre, uh, pre-holiday haircut so that my hair would be short enough that it could withstand any sort of humidity. So luckily, I've not... I've survived, which is great. It's, um, it's not wilting, is it? I mean, that's the main thing. <laughs> You're making me sound like a plant. Um, but I mean, well, so we did it. We did a press morning on Friday morning with WWE, and we were supposed to have Seth Rollins as one of the people, but he was replaced by Damian Priest. And you're like, okay, well, fine, let's talk to Damian. And then Theory was supposed to be there, and he was replaced by Jimmy Hart. God, and, Jimmy Hart. and I'm going, right, okay. So I was like, right, okay, well, this is easy. I'll just talk to Jimmy about his summer slams that he was involved in, right? Easy. First summer slam in Madison Square Garden. The first summer slam I ever watched, you know, was 1989 with him and him managing Honky Top Man against Dusty Rhodes. I thought maybe there's an interesting question about Dusty coming in from being top guy in Crockett to, you know, being the cartoon guy. I mean, that, was a- that match was dreadful, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. As a kid, I loved it because it was just 
mad. But I mean, if you actually want to watch it for a wrestling match, it's god awful. Um, so I go to interview him, and he he answers every question completely in in kayfabe. <laughs> in 2022. And this is a guy who in 2000 or 2001, 2002, something like that, had a book that came out. I'm sure somebody wrote for him, but, you know, and it was like, Jimmy, we're here in 2022 and, and you're, you're going you're gonna to just give me the kayfabe answer about, you know, why you and Honky Tonk Man weren't expecting the Ultimate Warrior to show up. You hadn't prepared for it. I'm going, what the, what's going on? So that was... You know that was that was kind of you just, you just nod along and go well. That's what we were. Were you given an explanation as to why Jimmy Hart subbed for Theory? No, that's a, that's a strange. That's not the person I was expecting you to say would be <laughs> Theory's replacement. Well, no, now Theory and Rollins are supposed to be there, and then Priest and Jimmy Hart were there instead. I'm just I'm putting two and two together. That if they didn't have Seth, they'd go right. Well, who have we got? We give D- Damian Priest. You know, he's on Raw. He's and judgment day, and the judgment day we'll do that i can see I mean, that fair one. enough i mean he's a, he's on the SummerSlam show he's mm-hmm. pushed commodity i mean jimmy hart has been a push commodity since 1993 <laughs> and even then he was he was stale and fast to sell by the exactly he was a nostalgia act then <laughs> so uh, but then i did the, did the bret hart panel on saturday that was really good fun um People enjoy the interesting thing about and then and then yesterday I did the Johnny Gargano panel and we had Candice LeRae and the former Dexter Loomis come out as surprises, which was really good fun. We had a uh, Dex uh, Sam Samuel Shaw, the former Dexter Loomis, uh, reading an Inside the Ropes magazine, which was very fun. I saw that picture. I saw it, and it's funny because the whole thing was he, he's obviously not going to speak, right? I don't think that's me telling trade secrets. So he's just sitting reading the magazine, and I. I had a copy of the Roman cover in my, my bag, you know, in case these kind of scenarios come up. And so I gave him the magazine, didn't think anything of it. And then we're chatting. And then Johnny Gargano says to, says to uh, Samuel Shaw, you know, what are you reading? And he turns it around and it's the That Didn't Work article about the Red Rooster. <laughs> and they worked with Terry Taylor in NXT a lot. So it was just this really you know, sort of strange thing that came together. Um, and then and then the, the Bret Hart panel at the end, he was talking about uh, that one of his ideas for the match at the end was that Davy Boy would go to shake his hand and Bret wouldn't want to do it and, and eventually they would shake hands and then do the hug. And, and then he said, you know, but we didn't get to do that. We just went straight to do the hug and blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as the Brett panel was finished, we we went to SummerSlam. And in the first match, Becky and Bianca do that exact spot afterwards, like two hours later. So it was weird that that was just, you know, in the universe. Um, But it was it was it was good fun. The only thing that was jarring to deal with was, I mean, you know, this from coming to the ITR shows, Finn, that like the audience had a big part of the show. Sure. You know. And it's like, if they make noise, you know by their noise where to take it and how, you know, if, if it's worth a follow-up, if, if you want to move on, the crowd are, are a, a big part of it. But at StarCast, they are not. They, they, are, they just sit and watch. So that is a difficult dynamic to, to, to deal yeah. with because you're so used to going by the crowd, but instead it's just like, oh, there's going to be 
pretty much silence, maybe some light applause if the wrestler says something really engaging. But for the most part, you just need to kind of wing it. Muted response. We don't like that, Kenny, do we? No, we, we you know, in the UK, we like a bit, a bit of noise. You know, not, do. not rowdy, but you, you know, you, you want to hear a bit of applause or, or a, you know, a laugh or, or something. So that was, that was just a difficult thing to kind of get my brain into. But I mean, I think, at the ITR shows, you get a reaction like when the Lionesses <laughs> won the football yesterday. That's the sort of reaction you're used to. You're accustomed to at your shows, Kenny. Congratulations to the England uh, women's football team. Um, big day for the I'm NS, not a football fan, but I watched it and I loved it. Yeah, I've, I've not seen it, but I'm very happy for them. And, uh, you know, people people always take the piss at women's football and stuff. And the thing is, there's a lot of young girls who probably have never really watched football because of the macho bullshit that goes along with it a lot of the time. And this kind of stuff just shows that football can be a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be all the the, the bad stuff. So, yeah, I'm well, very I'll happy. Tell you what, no one was laughing at those viewing figures last night. It was a massive... I think it was the uh, biggest audience of the year to watch anything. Oh wow! So fans are now, yeah. Well, listen, let's um, let's dive in. We're going to talk about the, we'll talk about the big matches from SummerSlam. We probably don't have time to go through everything today, but uh, we'll obviously be back later this week with Power Slam. So if there's anything that we missed, we can pick up there. But um, SummerSlam overall, I mean, this was the first show under the Triple H regime. Um, you know, we open it with a. Uh, I will say there wasn't a, there wasn't a massive set at the at the building. They did have sort of one full half of the stadium tapered off, but I don't think from what I've not watched any of it back. But from what I saw on the screen, it looked packed on TV, right? Yes, it, it absolutely did. Yeah, it looked tremendous. Yeah, it looked um, it looked like there was a full house there. Yeah, because they only even when they did pyro, they only did pyro on the side that there were people. They, they, they kind of left the other side uh, dry, but they filmed it really well. I think there was, I think there was legit about 36,000 people. Obviously, they announced it as 46 or whatever it was, but, um, you know, it's a good number, a good number for a pay-per-view in Nashville in the summer. Um, so yeah, we they, no, they, they, annou- they announced attendance was 48,449. Well, there you go. May, I mean, may, it's maybe pro that, wrestling. I mean, you've got to exaggerate. I mean, was Andre the Giant really seven foot four? Was Giant Haystacks really six foot eleven? No. Did Hulk Hogan counts. really body slam a seven hundred pound Andre the Giant? Well, of course he did. <laughs> it was written in his autobiography. Would Hogan lie? I mean, that 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 autobiography should be sitting in fiction stands. Like, as we speak. Um, anyway, so we opened the show with Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's title. Both women just brought the gear, you know, here. They, their, their outfits were so good. Um, and I thought they had a really good match. Uh, I think the WrestleMania one was be- better, but I think they had a, a really good match. And I like that they didn't play too much on the 26-second thing from last year. But Bianca retained in the end, which we were hoping was maybe going to happen, Finn. But what did you make of this opener and the job that these women uh, brought forth to us on the screen? Yeah, it was good. I mean, the audience were into it. I mean, there was some scrappiness, uh, mistiming. And I always think that Belair's matches should be a little bit simpler than they are. Um, because, he, you know, I don't know whether it's Becky and Bianca. I mean, it felt like a big match. It was received as a big match. And I thought it was exciting down the stretch, but wasn't really that sure-footed in places. And I think they had a few problems. 
on TV, as we saw, just as we saw at WrestleMania, you know, Becky was channeling John Cena. You know, we had a lot of very obvious spot calling, which I'm not fond of. Um, but, you know, they got through it. Um, Belair won with the with the Spanish fly, which I'm not a fan of that move, but he actually went down well uh, in Nashville. She hit the Spanish fly from middle rope and the KOD for the clean pin. Um, afterwards, a, de- a dejected Lynch offered Belair a handshake and then they hugged. And I think that was the right way to end it because this feud had to end here. I mean, yeah. and I think Lynch turning babyface as well, I think was the right direction to go in. Um, this is one year, even though it's not a year, it's one year in terms of events um, on from her return at SummerSlam last year. And I, I feel like it's time for her to turn face. And obviously we got the post-match with the return of a certain person and the debuts on the main roster of two other people. So I really like the way they've set up the future. I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens on Raw tonight, but I'll leave it up to you. You can take it from here, Kenny, with the post-match. Yes, yeah, so uh, post-match, what we, we did have, uh, you know, like I said earlier, the handshake and the hug thing uh, with Becky and Bianca. I should mention that uh, PW Torch reported, and I think it's uh, an important distinction, that uh, this babyface turn for Becky Lynch is a Triple H decision. This was not going to be the route under Vince. Vince didn't have plans to turn her. And um, it's, it's a good start. She gives us good kind of, uh, you know, good vibes of what the future is going to hold. And then those yeah. good vibes. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, I mean, Lynch was doing well as a heel, but really, what was she going to do next? Well, we talked I mean, about this, didn't we? We said that, like, you know, whoever loses here, what do they do? And if yeah. Becky lost and she remains a heel, you've kind of ran out of the stories to tell with her. Exactly. She's had the, I mean, the Asuka feud, I mean, that was a bit of a disappointment. I mean, she can't, she wasn't going to be vying for the title again as long as Belair held it. So she would have been demoted because she couldn't have been on top anymore. So had she remained a heel, I'm not sure what she would have done. I think it would have been a dead end for her as a heel. So the face turn just opens up new opportunities Certainly, with this, with the new talent arriving um, after the match, and then when they, you know, they did when they did the hug, and it's a really nice moment. And then Bailey's music hits, and Finn, I could almost hear the 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 reverberations or whatever it's called from from Lancaster of you finally being able to be correct that Bailey. Well, has... well that's it. That's it. I mean, even a stopped clock is right <laughs> twice a day. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, but Bailey came out. She looked great. She got a different look. She had. A lot of pockets. So, you know, Finn, she's never going to have trouble carrying anything. Oh, no. No, absolutely right. I mean, we all need pockets, don't we, Kenny? Yeah, we we need them in droves. Um, And then Dakota... I mean, where would we be without pockets? Pocketless. It would be a world not worth living in. Um, But then we had uh, Io Shirai. uh, First of all, we had Dakota Kai, who makes her big return. Um, I said this to Sondra. I think she's really like upgraded her look and made yes. herself look main roster ready. Yes. Like she's, she's definitely done that. And then we have Io Shirai, who we found out later is being now billed as Io Sky. So I guess she owned the Io Shirai name. So they've changed it a bit. And the three come out. 
they end up, you know, uh, getting in the ring. They they kind of squared off against Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair's facial expressions, I thought, really sold the gravitas of these three women. You know, yeah. some people maybe wouldn't sell it. Like I don't, I don't particularly think Charlotte Flair would have sold that stuff very well, but I think Bianca no. did, which is a testament to her. Um, yes. And then all the, the heels retreat in the end. So we've now got three shots in the arm for the women's division. I don't want to say I don't want to say I predicted they should have brought the Kotakai back, but you know I did. So you know I'll just you say did. It. and we should just say that when Belair was in the ring and she was confronted by Bailey and Dakota and Eo Sky, Becky Lynch stood shoulder to shoulder with Backed Bianca. Yeah, just Backed to confirm up. that she is now a proper baby face. She's a goodie. She's and and it was you know it was a big kind of you know here's here's a new era we're doing new stuff and you know it feels now like p- people like Dakota Kai and EO Sky who I don't think we would have you know we talked about before you remember when Dakota Kai got released and you had been quite you know sort of staunch in the, the opinion that uh, you know Vince wouldn't get her Vince wouldn't push Dakota Kai he wouldn't have any interest in her so the fact that she's been brought in really tells you that things are changing a bit because yeah it would have been like the Vince and the, the Kevin Dunn you know yeah. the you know, Kevin Dunn is big on the way people look. I don't think Kevin Dunn would have really seen her as a top star and somebody who uh, deserved to be pushed based on the way she looked. And Triple H views things very differently. And you can see now he's the real power. And this is, I'm sure, a Triple H decision, Paul Levesque decision. And it's one that I absolutely support. I mean, she's a real talent. And I'm not sure if she's ever going to be champ, but I think she can be a very important supporting player um and i think she'll do very well uh, on the main roster and i agree yeah she she's updated the way she looks and that's very important in wwe i mean they're all about presenting stars and you you know you've got to look like a star in this company it's it's very important so uh yeah, yeah i thought it was i mean i enjoyed the match i mean there was you know as i said there was a few it had its shortcomings but i overall liked it um i really you know, really appreciate the fact that they turned Lynch babyface afterwards. It was the right decision at the right time for her. And the arrival, or, or rather the return of Bailey and the arrival of Dakota Kai and Eo Sky, I think that was just the icing on the cake. Um, we then move on to the uh, Logan Paul Miz match. Miz is accompanied by Champ and Maurice. I mean, they, their, their outfit game was on point as well. Uh, yeah. they took on Logan Paul um, and Logan Paul ends up getting uh, back up from AJ Styles during the match because obviously Champa was you know uh, sticking well, Champa, his own Champa was caught interfering wasn't he the referee yeah. ordered him to leave Champa refused and then AJ Styles flew in from the crowd quite literally flew in <laughs> and rocked Champa and uh, basically fought with him backstage so that eliminated Champa that eliminated him and then in the end Logan Paul ended up getting the win here with the skull crushing finale on Miz which kind of makes sense in the story as well because Miz is the one who in storyline helped train Logan Paul at the beginning so it makes that's sense. right and nails him with the skull crushing finale after their win at Wrestlemania yeah so it's all kind of a tie into the story I mean Logan Paul is ridiculously good at this so far I mean I don't know if you'll be able to hold it up long term but I mean so far the guy can definitely go in the ring Oh, absolutely. I mean, the problem at the beginning with this match was, I mean, we we talked about this in the run-up to SummerSlam, is that Logan Paul was not a natural face and the audience did not 
really warm to him. It took them a long time to warm to him. But the match was so well put together. And Miz, I think, had... This was one of the best performances of his career, Miz, uh, if, not the, if not the best. And, I, and you could actually see the difference between him and Becky Lynch. I was looking out for Miz. Obviously, Miz was calling the match. And I was looking out for Miz's spot calling. And it was so subtle, so subtle. You almost, you just, it was like Ric Flair versus Lex Luger back in the day. You know, you just didn't see it. You knew it was happening, but you just, and you could kind of see when he was doing it. But if you didn't know he was doing it, you would never have known. And I thought the way it was put together was tremendous. I thought Champer had a really good night. Uh, AJ Styles had his little run in and wiped out Champa. Um, but the the whole way that the match was put together was designed to turn the designed um, to get Paul over as a babyface, and it absolutely did. And that frog splash by Paul off one of the turnbuckles onto Miz, who was lying on the announce table, that was the turning point of the match, yeah. and everybody was fully. Well, maybe not everybody, but the vast majority of the audience was fully behind Logan Paul after that spot. It was so well executed, so well set up, so beautifully sold by both. Um, then we had like uh, uh, Miz tried to use uh, like a prop, you know, some skullduggery at the end. And Paul ducked and hit Miz with the skull crushing finale for the pin. And it was, yeah, I thought it was very well put together in the match. Actually, a pretty much a work of art. One of the best assembled matches I've ever seen. Because I mean, Paul really wasn't over as a babyface at the beginning, but when it ended, he absolutely was. And people were, full, well, the majority of people were fully behind him. So very, very well done, Kenny. Uh, another Triple H decision that actually happened on SmackDown first, I believe I didn't get a chance to see it, but um, during a Maximum Male Models ad for Pure Life Water, we had, uh, obviously, the models themselves, Mansoir and Marseille, with Maxine Dupree and then Max Dupree at the end. I mean, when was the last time we had an ad, like a, an ad for a, a product on WWE TV that felt as fun and sort of authentic to who the characters are than this? I thought this was a, a riot. Oh, yeah, really good. And, um, you know, Pure Life Water is the official water of maximum male, mono, male models. <laughs> Did you, yeah, see, did you see Marseille's tweet afterwards where he said we could we could sell water to fish? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He probably could. Um, I mean, it was so well shot and just in keeping with the characters and, um, you know, it had that sort of sexual connotation going on there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's quite suggestive in parts, I think, the video. Uh, but it's all, you know, it's tongue-in-cheek and, yeah, really fun. And, I mean... You know, we've talked about this gimmick before and we're fans of it. And I'm glad that Max Dupree's back and, you know, whatever, because there were reports this week that he had been scrubbed and it was, you know, this was Maxine, the Maxine Dupree show now. Well, I mean, I'm not convinced that Maxine Dupree has what it takes to do the narration um, anywhere near as well as Max. So I think Max is going to be integral to the success of this gimmick in future so i'm glad he's still there because i think maximum male models needs max but yeah, uh, yeah this was a, a a lot of fun a riot kenny uh, then we had bobby lashley coming out for his u.s title match against Stevie. The, the lashley entrance on that podium looked so good 
um, you know, with the pyro and everything, him just being like a, a Greek god. Um, and he comes out, has the match with Theory. Theory obviously tries to use the briefcase and then a really clever finish where Lash, uh, Theory like rolls into the ring, but then uh, Lashley sort of grabs him and press slams him, but then drops him into a hurt lock to get the win. Um, very decisive win for Lashley, which I think played into getting people to think that Austin, that Theory was going to cash in later. What did you make of this one? Well, I mean, I mean, after this, I've got to say that it's sort of made me think, no, there's no way that Theory can cash in and become champion after losing so decisively to Lashley. So it did rather spoil the cash-in to me. But also there was a lot of reports circulating that it was going to be Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns at Clash of the Castle. So it didn't really feel like it was going to be Theory's night or time to become champ. And I think that's the right decision as well. I don't think he's ready to be champ yet. And as you said, I mean, I was suggesting that maybe Drew McIntyre would face Theory at Clash of the Castle. And you said, no, it would be much better if it was Drew versus Roman. It, 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 that would feel like a bigger match. And obviously it does feel like a much bigger match. So I think it's all worked out for the best. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed this, this match between Lashley and Theory. Um, it was, um, I mean, in a way, it doesn't matter that Theory lost um, so convincingly to Lashley because Lashley's he's the US champ. He's really over. And it feels like the it kind of, I'm not, I'll be, I'm curious to see what Lashley does tonight on Raw because he feels almost too big and too much of a star to be US champion for much longer. But of course, he's not going to be wrestling Roman Reigns because we know Reigns is facing Drew McIntyre. So I'm not quite sure what Bobby Lashley does next. I mean, as for theory, I mean, he did the job here, tapped out to the hurt lock. You know, I think he's still got his heat. I think he's still a star and I think he's still going to be a champ in future. But I just feel like the way it's played out is for the best for him and for everyone else, particularly the best for theory, because I don't think he's ready yet to be the top guy. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I, I also said this with Sondra, I think it's just worth repeating. Um, I think this is a good test, this match, to show other wrestling promotions, I'm not mentioning any in particular, that sometimes a five-minute match is fine. Sometimes you don't yeah. need to do 20 every single time. So they kept this short and sweet. I don't think people would have really bought it going much longer. So I think that the timing was was pretty on point for what they Yeah, I mean, it was do. good and it was a short match. And fans were massively behind Lashley before, during and after the match. Lashley just feels as hot as he's ever been. Yeah, so I hope they've got a big opponent plan for him. Yeah, I hope so too. Uh, then we had the Mysterios taking on Finn Balor and Damian Priest of the Judgment Day with Rhea Ripley at ringside. Um, this match live was was kind of dull. I mean, people just weren't really that into it. It didn't help that halfway through the match, um, they set up the fire for what was going to happen later on in the match. Right. So, so the crowd were pretty much all looking at the entranceway because this fire had been set up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, this this didn't really go over too well live. I mean, Rey Mysterio, God knows how he still does all the stuff that he does at his age. I mean, it's unreal. But um, the big moment was obviously when R Rhea Ripley got involved and this allowed Edge to make his return. 
he came out on a platform uh, in between fire, red and black gear, shades on, he comes in, takes out the Judgment Day, Spears, uh, Damien Priest, and then the Bal- uh, the, the Mysterios hit Balor with a double 619, Ray splashes him, and the Mysterios get the win. So no heel turn from Dom and a return from Edge, which wasn't the expected route. His Triple H spared Ray Mysterio from <laughs> a, a, a turn from his son for now. Yeah, it does seem seem like it. Um, I mean, I did watch the kickoff show, which was an hour, and there was absolutely nothing of interest on it, apart from a video, um, which, which, again, from Edge, although it wasn't clear from the video that it was Edge, and at the end, um, the uh, caption on the, re- on the screen read, I am coming tonight, which was, of course, in reference to Edge returning here yeah. in this match to uh, take his revenge on the Judgment Day, Finn Balor and Damien Priest and Rhea Ripley. I mean, I thought he played pretty well on TV. Um, the heels got heat on Dom uh, to set up Ray's hot tag, and I thought that looked pretty good. Um, I mean, the action was just, Oh, it was. I thought it was really slick, uh, really professional. Uh, I thought the fans, at least on TV, uh, seemed to be um, engaged uh, yeah. with what was going on in the ring. Uh, Rhea Ripley prevented the Mysterios from hitting a double six one nine, and that was the cue for the return of Edge, as you mentioned. Um, and he booted Priest um, in the aisle and then speared Bala. And then the Mysterios hit the double 619 and Ray pinned Balor with a splash. So, again, curious to see if Dominic is going to do the turn or is this the end of Mysterio's involvement with the Judgment Day? Um, you know, also, will Beth Phoenix return again um, to take on Rhea Ripley? Um, she came back for the, uh, for the Miz and Maurice feud, didn't she? She did. She does. So you would think that this will be more appealing to her than wrestling, Mar- wrestling Maurice. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, um, just because of time constraints, what we've got today, and what I thought is we let, we'll, we'll leave the SmackDown matches for Power Slam podcast to cover, so we can give everything its time, um, okay. so that we can just you know, so we'll we'll, we'll come back to, to those matches. Um, but let's talk about the uh, unified tag team title match with okay. the Street Profits and the Usos, with Jeff Jarrett as the referee. You know, we'd been talking about, is this this has to be the Street Profits night? And it wasn't. The Usos ended up getting the win in the end. Um, there was, you know, Jeff Jarrett was kind of involved at points. Um, you know, te- the tease of would he sort of have allegiance to one team? Um, you know, Montez Ford is really annoyed at him at one point and shouts at him about the count. Um Lots of stuff going on. But anyway, the Usos retain in the end. The Street Profits look very dejected. Is this the end of the Street Profits, do you think, Finn? Well, I mean, there must be a plan, Kenny. I mean, I predicted victory for the Street Profits. I mean, this really sucked the life out of the crowd when it ended because people were anticipating a Street Profits win after Jimmy and Jed just won everything for however long it is now. I mean, they've just not been beaten for so long, at least not, you know, obviously they've been tag team champions for ages. Um, and after the Usos had accidentally, um, I think it was Jay who accidentally he, uh, super kicked uh, Jeff Jarrett in a segment on SmackDown the previous evening, it did seem to indicate that Jarrett would maybe nail one of the uh, Usos and then they would have the excuse for losing. That's often what happens, isn't it, with special referees? Mm-hmm. You have like the heels, you know, are breaking the rules and start shoving the 
baby fed special ref. And then in the end, the special refs had enough and he nails the heel and then the baby face scores the pin. And then you've got the excuse and that leads to a series of rematches. And instead it was Jimmy and Jay who retained um, after hitting the 1D. I mean, Montez Falls was, was just so, he was just crushed afterwards. I mean, he had a close-up of his face and he just, it reminded me of Bianca at <laughs> SummerSlam last year after she had lost to Becky Lynch. It was a similar sort of reaction. So I don't know whether we're going to have maybe an announcement tonight on Raw, possibly on SmackDown on Friday, um, that the Street Profits will have like one last match at Clash at the Castle. And maybe the stipulation will be if they don't win, then the Street Profits will split up or maybe something like that. Yeah, Maybe it'll be some type of stip like that. It doesn't, it, I can't believe that this is the end of the story. But well, also just... because if, if the Street Profits are to break up, um, there's not really any other teams for the Usos to face. Mm. So it would be, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a plan. You can see that from the camera work of them being dejected at the end. So hopefully that plays into uh, either tonight on Raw or uh, SmackDown on Friday. Um, I mean, it, it, in some ways, Kenny, it, was, it wasn't the worst thing that they didn't win because the match didn't reach the standard of the Money in the Bank match. Yeah. So potentially if they have like one final match at Clash of the Castle, and we know that this is do or die for the Street Profits, I think that will really, you know, amplify the heat, amplify the crowd noise, and maybe uh, give the, that final rematch the atmosphere it deserves. And, uh, and also if uh, Montez and Angela win, I mean, that would be great to see in Cardiff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we also had a, a quick brawl with Riddle and Seth Rollins because Riddle had come out and said, even though he's not cleared, he's uh, Randy taught him to, to stand up for himself. So he calls out Rollins. Rollins runs out as the agents try and stop him and he ends up stomping Riddle, which uh, continues this story that um, I think Clash at the Castle is going to be the, the destination point. Yeah, I mean, it's shaping up to be a pretty, pretty Cardiff, Principality Stadium. So, I mean, we know that's going to take place there, which is a, a match that I'm certainly looking forward to. So, yeah, Clash of the Castle is, it's already shaping up to be a heck of a show, I think. Um, and then that brings us to the main event, the last man standing match for the undisputed Universal title. <clears throat> Roman Reigns defending against Brock Lesnar. Roman comes out <clears throat> in his traditional sort of, you know, tribal chief garb and he does his entrance. And then Brock Lesnar comes out initially like a normal Brock Lesnar entrance, but then he puts on a cowboy hat, he puts on some flannel, and he drives a tractor, massive tractor to the ring. And that was the beginning of the match. Now, I, I don't like last man standing matches, Finn, but to me, this was a ton of fun. And uh, I, I think that this, this is the perfect way for Roman and Brock to go out on because the, the, the live crowd ate this up. Uh, there was tons of shenanigans. What did you make of the main event? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it was all singing, all dancing, all the bells and whistles, you name it, all the add-ons, kind of attitude era-esque with all the runnings and all the props and the diversions and the extras, um, which I think was fitting given this was advertised as the last match between these two. Um, I mean, Reigns was just hilarious when Lesnar was driving down the aisle in the tractor. I mean, what a massive machine that was, wasn't it? I was thinking, oh, I hope Brock knows what he's, 
<laughs> knows what he's doing with this. He even thing. did the turn on the ramp. He was able to get it round, no problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I think he'd probably been sent on a training course before he was allowed. If they let him loose with that thing, with all those fans either side of the the aisle. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there was a couple of moments there where it almost looked like Lesnar had had beaten Reigns. Reigns only just made it to his feet before the count of ten once. And the fans almost turned on the match at one point because it sort of looked like Reigns hadn't made it to his feet in time. But the match continued. So, I mean, Reigns sold massively here. Um, And once again, I think the message was communicated that Reigns couldn't beat Lesnar on his own. He needed Jimmy and Jay to help him score the win. Um, But of course, before it ended, we had that big spot, which we've never seen before in pro wrestling. Um, where Lesnar went to the tractor and uh, put like the, the, the what would you call it? Like the, the digger thing, the digger attachment, digger attachment at the, at the front. Yeah, yeah, the digger attachment. The, the ring and then lifted the ring up. I don't know how many feet, but it must have been a good six, seven feet maybe. It was maybe even more than that, maybe 10 feet. I don't know how many feet it was. It's pro wrestling, everyone always exaggerates. <laughs> and uh, so he lifted the ring up causing Reigns to fall out of the ring to the floor. And I remember thinking there must have been a risk assessment done here as well. Oh, yeah. Because at one point he was pushing the ring. It's like he kind of screwed it up, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. He hadn't quite got the, the bottom of the, the, the arms or the, the, the digger attachment thing under the ring to lift it. And he ended up pushing it towards the announce desk. Um, fortunately, you know, put it in reverse and tried again. But that was, what a visual that was. And uh, Lesnar looked like he was having the time of his life. Yeah, he, he was loving it. But like he Lesnar was... had it won, and then Jimmy and Jay turned up, and Theory came out and tried to cash in, but didn't. He was beaten up by Lesnar. And then in the end, the, uh, the bloodline, I mean, even Heyman got involved. Heyman, like, you know, started yelling at Lesnar, and then Lesnar hoisted Heyman onto his shoulders and F5'd him onto the announce table. I mean, that announce table, Kenny, took a beating at SummerSlam, didn't it? It did, it did. And it's funny, because early on the match, I was thinking to myself, it's strange that Lesnar's never got any sort of physical comeuppance on Heyman, and then he F5s him through that announce table. And, uh, and, Heyman, and it was great. Heyman sold it like he was deceased. He did not move at all. And even like, later, when he was being propped up by the Usos, he could—he just was—you know—he couldn't move an inch without being propped up by them. Oh, that was that was fantastic! Exactly how you're supposed to sell, you know, especially if you're a manager and like a top star nails you. You sell that for minutes, not seconds. Um, so they ended up like piling all this furniture on top of Lesnar, and then uh, Rain stood on top of. All the furniture when that was on top of Lesnar and the referee counted Brock down. So Roman Reigns won. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, they, I think- they, it's you know, to your point about the, the run ins and everything, all the stuff made sense. You know, theory coming out at the time made sense because he's so delusional that he thinks he can cash in and win. And then, you know, Lesnar and Reigns both making sure that they were beating up theory was clever because they didn't want to give him the chance to, to, to strike. And then, yeah. you know, that, that kind of story of Roman trying to do all this stuff and Lesnar keeping getting up, keeping getting up, keeping getting up, um, was just great. And then, I mean, at the end of the show, you know, the ring, the, the ring was, when, when Lesnar drove that 
uh, tracked her into the ring and the ring, you know, looked like the end of the movie Titanic when the ship is like about <laughs> to finally sink into the water. Um, it was just great. And then when the show goes off the air, Roman's left and all that, Brock Lesnar gets in and climbs to the top of the ring and just sits with his cowboy hat on, <laughs> surveying his damage. So, I mean, this was a, this was a, a 10 out of 10 piece of booking here. And uh, oh, that's why I think, awesome. don't repeat it. Yeah, they, they just gave, they just, it was just like, right, this is the, this is the final match of the feud and we're giving people everything. You know, nothing's going to be left in reserve. We are just going to load it up. And I think they protected Lesnar in defeat. Um, I mean, Reigns was just flabbergasted that Lesnar kept getting up. And, you know, the selling was first class, of course, why these two are the two biggest stars in the game. And, um, you know, Reigns was just communicating so much with his facials, with his expressions. And, um, and then afterwards, the bloodline had to, like, help each other backstage. They'd just been through a war. And, um, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a really pretty much perfect main event. I don't think you could have asked for any more from this match than WWE delivered on Saturday night. So overall, I mean, obviously it's difficult to to try and, you know, quantify with being the first pay-per-view, but I mean, did you, did you commit a SummerSlam? How did you feel that they did as a first sort of new era pay-per-view? And does it give you any more or less enthusiasm for how the product's going to be kind of in the next few months? Um, I mean, there was quite a few subtle changes, like Michael Cole's commentary was more spontaneous and relaxed, and he was making all these references to historical events in WWF stroke WWE history, like made a re- like during the Corbin versus McAfee match, he had a reference to a the big boss man and a spot that boss man did at SummerSlam in 1991, I think it was. So there was all these references like Jesse Ventura and and like on SmackDown, he referred to the audience as fans twice. And like, I know fans wasn't always on the band list of words or the list of band words by Vince McMahon, but for a long time it was. And announcers just weren't allowed to use the phrase, uh, the word fans, which is just crazy. But that's how regimented it was under McMahon's rules. So it felt more relaxed. And I just feel like the announcing just seemed more natural, like Cole was saying what he wanted to say rather than what he was told to say. So, I mean, things like that are very heartening to me. Um, And, yeah, I think overall, I think it was, I think it was very encouraging. I don't know whether that much has really changed yet. Little things have that do give me a lot of optimism for the future. Um, But I think tonight will be the, um, the real indicator of what's happening next, because I think they pretty much stuck with most of what Vince had planned. Obviously, you mentioned that Becky Lynch uh, would not have turned heel had Vince still been running the show. But tonight will be will be very interesting to see, you know, what happens on Raw. You know, will who will get the push? Who will Lashley face? You know, will some new people be brought up? You know, what will Dakota Kai Bailey and Eo Sky do? I think that'll be a, a big indicator of 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 how much has changed and and how much uh, faith we we should have in this new regime so yeah i think all will be revealed tonight on raw kenny but uh, but overall yeah i mean it was i came out of summerslam 
feeling like the show had a lot of energy and the company just felt like it was a really sort of buoyant place. If I can use that word to describe WWE, buoyant. It's not really a word that I, I've often used to describe WWE. Uh, yeah, it's not not a, not a phrase we've been using recently. But listen, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, the thing is, I, I'm with you though. I think they've made subtle changes and I think that's clever because as much as I'm sure, you know, you and I would, would be big fans of some drastic changes. You can't really when you've got a company worth this much money with this many shareholders and you know partners, you can't really just flip everything in one day. You have to build it slowly. And I think he, he did a really good job. Uh, you know, cause I did, I was at the, in the press morning, I was at on Friday um, we did a media scrum with Triple H after it. And okay. one of the things that he said, cause somebody said, Oh, you know, Paul Heyman has been involved in these tryouts. Would you have Paul Heyman involved? And, and I, I know he's probably just telling, you know, doing the media line he was kind of saying there's going to be a crew of us doing this and i want everyone's opinion i want i want i want opinions from anyone who can help with this so you know i mean because that main event with the tractor and everything that had Heyman fingerprints on it for sure the way that was booked so hopefully he is kind of open to uh, collaborate with people yeah i mean it's it's not i mean obviously it was a team effort when vince was there but it's it's all about you know listening to those ideas and implementing those ideas and being receptive to ideas that may deviate from your own and not just, you know, having that sort of tunnel vision of, no, I'm right, you know, because I'm Vince McMahon and I built this company into a billion dollar organization. It's not that, it's, it's having the, you know, the humility to accept that maybe you're not right all the time and that this person's got a really good idea here. And even though I didn't come up with that idea, um, I'm going to accept that it's better than my idea. And because this is a team effort, we're going to use the best idea. I mean, that's the sort of environment you want, isn't it? The creative environment where um, people aren't being laughed out of the room for saying something that um, doesn't tour the party line. You want your different ideas. You want brainstorming sessions where people can say say what they really mean. And so often from a bad idea, you know, that can, you know, give birth to a good idea. So, I mean, yeah, you, you need that more of a sort of free and easy environment where people are encouraged to speak their mind and suggest things that maybe are a little bit off the wall um, that may really make a difference. Uh, well, listen, from SummerSlam to, uh, to the night after, uh, it was Ric Flair's last match, the show last night, and obviously his match was the main event with him and Andrade against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. I know you got a chance to to watch that match this morning. I was there last night, Finn. Talk me through your thoughts on the presentation. Well, I mean, I thought, I mean, I've only watched the main event, and I will say that I thought that the venue looked really good. I like the way that it was shot. There was only, there was a couple of dodgy camera spots, but mostly it was well shot. I really like the way it was lit. It looked big time. I mean, it really did. I like the color scheme they used, like purple and white. I thought that really worked very well. Um, I mean, the audience were, were really hot for, for the main event, which was kind of amazing, really. Because uh, I don't know, was it nearly 27 minutes, Kenny? Did you say nearly 20? <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah. And it was just like, wow. He's just like, hold on a minute, you know, 20, I think it was 26 minutes 40 or something like that, the match. 
And it's just like, whose idea was it to book Ric Flair at the age of 73 after all sorts of health problems in a match of this length, even with talent of, of, of with these level of gifts? You know, and I'm talking about Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, who were the stars of the show. I mean, they were fantastic. I mean, it was an old school Jarrett heel performance with him challenging fans to fights, just, you know, waste, you know, just filling time by not wrestling, you know, and just working the crowd and strutting around. I mean, at one point, um, Jeff pretended he was going to do like a walkout and uh, he was going to go backstage. And he was outside the ring. I timed it, Kenny, for one minute and 52 seconds and somehow wasn't counted out. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny because the show, the show being there at the show last night, the, the, the building looked great. I would say they probably had about 6,000 people oh. of the, of the 9,000 seater, but it looked great. Um, the undercard, I think, was, you know, nothing was designed to steal the show from the main event, which is what everyone was there for, so it makes sense. And, I mean, the presentation live was very fun. Uh, if, if it had a big fight feel to it, which is bizarre. But, I mean, the weirdest thing about it was Flair had very clearly, he, he, he was doing more in the training videos than he was doing here. So I think he's just, like, over, like he's overtrained because he couldn't really do much. But this, to me, the star of the show, Jay Lethal was, was great, but to me, the star of the show was Jeff Jarrett. He was, I mean, he came out in his, in his entrance, like a minute and a half. I saw somebody on Twitter say, this entrance should be studied, and it should. Because he came out, he flicked Tony Schiavone's papers away. He came down, he threw a drink in the fans' face. He was jaw-jacking The Undertaker. Um, and he just immediately made you think, okay, you know, th- this this is good. He's he's going to... Uh, and, and I know this sounds like a hyperbolic thing to say, but to me, after watching this match, I was thinking, Jeff and Karen should do a couple of matches in WWE and have Jeff be a heel and do a match and have Karen in the corner because they were an, they were so good for as an act. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, Jeff, I mean, what is he? Is he I, think he's, I think he's about a year older than me. So, I mean, he's like 53, I think he is. He was born in 68. So, I mean, he's, I mean, he's still in great shape. He's actually I mean, 55, Finn. Is he 55? 55, July 14th, 1967. Ah, okay. So right. he turned 55 earlier, earlier this month. Okay. So he just turned 55. But, I mean, he still looks tremendous. I mean, he obviously hasn't wrestled that much in recent years, so he doesn't have all that mileage on his body that you know full-time wrestlers have. But you're right. I mean, he could go into WWE and um, he could work a program. I mean, he'd be a great opponent for Lashley, for instance. Oh, he could do some really good stuff with um, some younger people, like the Mysterios, for instance. I think that'd be a really good program. He could also do one with, uh, with Cody. You get the built-in story there, but the roads and the Jarrett's like there's so many. And he, the thing that I'm hopeful of with Triple H as well is that Triple H would would see that you know the King of the Mountain, my world, Jeff Jarrett is the Jeff Jarrett to do, not Double J. Like yes, Double J is a nostalgia act, and Jeff Jarrett is much more than a nostalgia act, as he proved last night. Yeah, I mean he was very aggressive. I mean he was just doing all that old school heel stuff. Which is which? Which works in small. Well, I mean, this wasn't a small venue. This is a big venue. In some some ways, people say, "Well, that's a small hall heel act, where you're arguing with the fans and you know yelling at hecklers." 
but it works so well here in front of a crowd, as you say, of 6,000, which is more than WWE usually draws at house shows these days, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he could just go out there on Raw tonight and he would get over, he would know how to. Uh, in fact, you know, he could they could do a heel turn, couldn't they? The Street Profits, he could do like a heel turn on the Street Profits. Mm-hmm. He could do something to actually set up the Street Profits and uh, Jimmy and Jay final match. He could do a heel turn and he could have a really good run. I mean, he would be great uh, against someone like Riddle. That'd be a really good program as well. There's loads. loads yeah, loads, loads. loads. I mean, pretty much anyone, really. But yeah, he was the star of the show. And the reason I we mean, should really- mention, we should, I don't know if you saw this actually, but they did a promo backstage with uh, Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett where Lawler was, uh, was saying, you know, the flares have always been overrated. You know, we run Tennessee and all this kind of stuff. And, you know... Who, who originated the, the the woo and then they both at the same time say Jackie Fargo and stuff. So it was very, very fun. They they really built up. So exactly. I mean, there, Jeff. I mean, Jeff's there doing the Fargo straw, you know, which you know, which is kind of like the flare straw. Um, so it, he was doing that, of course, for heat. I mean, it was really sad, wasn't it, Kenny, when Flair tried to do the straw and kind of just didn't have the rhythm to do it. Yeah, and there was some of the chops flare through were did sound pretty good, and they were lethal in particular sold them great. I mean, lethal and Jarrett sold so much for Flair here. I mean, these two guys deserve a medal for how on board they were with this match storyline of putting Flair over. And um, but I mean, this match lasted too long. Rick could hardly do anything. It was sad to watch. I mean, Flair, of course, had to bleed. I mean, of course he had to bleed. And, um, yeah, it was... Um, I mean, he was so gassed at one point that he couldn't even sell blows from Jarrett Lethal, couldn't react to them. And then at one point, Jarrett had to lift Flair onto the top rope because Flair just couldn't get onto the top rope. And um, then it's come, and then it's come right back down. Because yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, I think whatever, be... they had, whatever they had planned, he wasn't able to pull it off. Then Lethal hit a just a straight suplex, and Flair just he just didn't move afterwards. Well, I think he can be here. Somebody was saying that he could be here mouthing. I passed out for a second, and that was. I what... think that was after the finish because oh, Flair right. put the figure four leg lock on Jarrett. And both sets of shoulders were down. So it was actually a double pin finish. But the referee, of course, only pinned Jarrett's shoulders that were down so that Flair's hand could be raised in victory. But, I mean, it was absurd. I mean, it was if you technically, it was a double pin finish. So it was actually a draw. <laughs> you know I mean, Andra- Andrade should have dived into the ring at that point and just lifted his father-in-law's shoulders up, shouldn't he? He should have... <laughs> had the instincts to recognize that Flair was so blown up that he just could not move and to just get in there, lift one of Flair's shoulders up so at least on the pin, both sets of shoulders wouldn't have been down. Um, I mean, you know, afterwards, there was Flair did a really a heartfelt promo, pro, really did a heartfelt promo with Tony Schiavone. Flair said, I appreciate you all coming. I hope I didn't let you down. I don't remember half of it. Thank you all. And I was really quite touched by that statement because Flair was really humble and he was really moved by 
the response to this match. And he had to know that it was pretty ropey performance to be, <laughs> to be charitable. Um, and, you know, there wasn't, I don't think he was under any illusions about the quality of the work that he'd put in. And I think he knew that everyone else did 99% of the work, you know, yeah. and he did like 1% um, and probably in a sense, didn't really deserve the reaction he got for the match. But of course he did deserve it for who he once was and what he used to be in pro wrestling. And, you know, there's so much, you know, throughout the night, they had videos from Cody Rhodes, Sting, uh, Jim Ross, all these different people. They had Undertaker, Bret Hart and Mick Foley all sitting in the front row. Um, it felt like a big moment. And I think he, I, I think he'll wake up today and he'll be happy that, I mean, that I think he'll be happy that the, the people were there for him and they sort of showed up for him. I think that's what he'll be happy about. But, yeah, he just, he, he you know, he, he's 73. He overtrained and... Um, it's not going to be a. It's not going to be a match. I don't think this will be getting five stars from anybody. So I think. <laughs> I mean, and they kind of blew it just before the end because Lethal came out on the stage and Flair hooked him just before the show went off the air. It's like no, the yeah. show needs to go off the air before that. And it's like okay, maybe kayfabe doesn't matter in twenty twenty two. I guess. It, I get. I mean, at least that made sense from the perspective of. Jay Lethal's whole thing was that he wanted on the show. Ric yeah. Flair said he wasn't good enough. There's like a respect thing. I mean, I would have been annoyed if Jarrett had come out. I was like, don't undo all the good work that you've... But Jarrett, again, how clever is Jeff Jarrett that, you know, last night will probably be looked upon as a success overall because of Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. People will be, that's what people will remember. So, you know, again, he's very clever. I mean, it was very fun live. I can't lie. We had a blast watching it. Um I mean, the only moment, because obviously we didn't see a lot of the kind of, we were sitting on like the first tier and there was an elevator thing in front of us, so we couldn't see a lot of the stuff that went on at ringside. Because um, at one point I thought that Megan Flair, when she was going after Karen, we thought that was Charlotte. Yeah, so um, did I at first with all the blonde hair. Yeah, we so it was only with, later on where somebody corrected me online and said, no, that was Megan. Um, but the uh, when the match was over and Flair was just lying there for like a minute or whatever, I was going, oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! But you know, he, he got through. I mean, he, he's seventy-three. You know, what? What? I, I don't think. I mean, yeah, it would have been good if he could have done a vertical suplex or if he could have done whatever. But he was never going to be able to do much. I just, I just think the match should have been a lot shorter. Yeah. I mean, I understand it was the main event, but I mean, they could have, it could have been like eighteen minutes or sixteen minutes. Yeah. Do you think that part of the reason that it was longer is because Flair? was for, forgetting stuff and he couldn't get to where things were? Like, did that prolong it, maybe? I mean, possibly. Because I know I mean, Conrad, because local time, the show went off there about, like, nine o'clock, and Conrad had, had made a point of saying, oh, a pay-per-view that finishes before nine, so maybe it was meant to finish a little bit earlier, um, and Flair's kind of forgetfulness caused... I mean, possibly, but I mean... I mean, it's hard for me to believe that Flair was calling that. It must have been Jarrett who was leading it. It must have been. I mean, yeah. Flair must have said, listen, Jeff, you you just call this one, right? You're in charge here. So, I mean, Jeff should, I think, should have said, you know, let's go home a bit earlier. And, you know, there's some good, good crowd working. And, I mean, overall, I enjoyed the match in a sense. But, I mean, I, mean, I remember, I mean, I'm at the moment actually just writing some pay-per-view reviews for the next Almanac. Of mm -hmm. WCW events, 
And I've just watched Flair Steamboat from Music City Showdown. <laughs> so I just literally watched that this morning and then I watched this match. So, I mean, you know, it's a bit of a shock to the system, you know, I mean, you know, great Flair <laughs> was compared to how he was on, uh, you know, July 31st, uh, 2022. So, um, but I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to see, I mean, I think they could have, they could have worked it in a way that Flair would have had more dignity than he did. He was just out there too long. They did yeah. too much. They asked too much of him. And I think it would have been better if it had been a lot shorter. Well, the last thing I just wanted to, to say on it, which uh, Josh Chernoff from Fight actually filled me in on, I didn't realise, uh, the venue that we were at yesterday, the Nashville Munis- Municipal Auditorium, is the same venue that In Your House 2 took place, where Jeff Jarrett walked out with the roadie after the show. Yeah, so, I believe it actually was the same venue as well that Music City Showdown was held. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of history in that building. So, um yeah, and, and I think for Conrad, I think he's gonna. This is gonna be a big success for him. You know what they what they were able to put on because part of the reason that this probably won't be looked at as as much of a disaster as it could be was because everything else was so good around Flair that yeah. um, you know that might save. But you know maybe this is the beginning of Conrad doing retirement shows for other wrestlers. You know maybe there's other ones that he could do. Um, and I, I've I've I heard that I think he owns the the license to. Jim Crockett promotions now. So, I mean, I don't know if there's any other Jim Crockett's promotions people. I mean, if Jerry Lawler decided to do a retirement show, I'm sure Conrad could be the one to put that on. And um, that's if Lawler's ready to do that, to retire. But we'll yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've got to say, Tony Schiavone was a lot of fun on commentary. Um, David Crockett was clueless. In fact, <laughs> he admitted. Um, when Andrade came out for the main event, that he'd never seen him wrestle. Crockett on commentary. Jesus. He had um, no idea about Jay Lethal's uh, Randy Savage phase as Black Machismo. He had no idea about that. <laughs> oh, David. Well, at least he, at least he turned up. Um, well, listen, that's all the time we've got for today. We'll be back on uh, Thursday on Patreon with Power Slam podcast. I know it'll be, it'll be in the main feed on Friday. We'll talk about the rest of the uh, SummerSlam card from SmackDown. We'll talk about the post-SummerSlam Raw, and I'm sure there'll be some news for us to go into as well. So, uh, again, we'll also be uh, recording another, um, uh, the other half of our... Uh, Get to the point, Kenny. Fifth anniversary special. Fifth anniversary special. The 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 Q and A overrun just went up uh, today, so uh, that'll be up there for people to check out on Patreon. And part two will be uh, recorded later this week. So, Finn, I hope you enjoy the next couple of days, and I look forward to talking to you on Thursday. Yes, have a good flight home, Kenny. Hope everything goes well, and uh, yeah, look forward to talking to you about all those things and Raw as well. Of course, be uh, um, sure will be a big show, and be very interesting to see what happens on that program. Indeed. Uh, good luck with uh, with the, the Almanac in the, the, uh, 1989. Um, I hope that all you uh, have a good have a good week, everybody. Hopefully, Raw brings us some more newsworthy stuff to talk about. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.